welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, the Christmas season is is almost done. For some of us, we've already been back to work. Maybe we never stopped working, but for some of us, we kind of had the break between Christmas and New Year's off, and now we're back to work. For those of us that have kids, it kind of feels like today is the last day of, of winter break, which is both a wonderful feeling and a sad feeling, because you know, they're gonna you know, go back to school and be with their friends, and it's gonna be a bummer because we have, actually have to do lunches and, and get up and all that stuff. But one of the, the things I love about Christmas is, is all of our family's Christmas traditions. And a lot of them actually orientate around food. We, you know, when the Christmas season happens, we get, and Christmas lights are occurring, we, right, get hot chocolate for the kids, fancy coffees for us, and we kind of go around and look at all the lights. And then as soon as it kind of is uh, Christmas Eve or before whenever my husband gets off, he makes a meat and cheese platter that is just meat and and cheese and crackers that just kind of stay perpetually filled for however the Christmas season is. Then we have, on Christmas Eve, we have an appetizer feast where we invite friends over and just have a bunch of different food and, and then Christmas dinner with all our favorite things. There's just a lot of feasting that occurs. And I am far more comfortable with feasting than fasting. And yet, I would consider myself an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. And my life is organized around three basic goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and live like he did. And what that means is I adopt his overall lifestyle, obviously adjusted for culture and all that stuff, but to arrange myself and my life's around the practices and the way of Jesus. And why do I do that? Why do all of us, as those who have decided to follow Jesus, why do we orientate ourselves around him and the way he lived? Well, it's to open our whole lives to God, to transform us from the inside out. Now make no mistake, Jesus feasted, right? That was one of the, the main kind of charges the religious leaders had against him. He said, man, you know, called him a a glutton and a drunkard, said that the son of man feasts and drinks, and he left us with bread, wine, and a table to remember him by, communion. He also fasted. Matthew 4 tells us that he began his ministry with 40 days of fasting in the desert. And all throughout the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, There are stories of him fasting. Most of us have the feasting part of Jesus down. But very few of us fast nowadays. So if today you're thinking, fasting, well, that's nothing I do. You're not alone. The idea of fasting has basically disappeared from modern Christian spirituality in the West. 
We're more likely to hear about fasting from some fitness guru that talks about intermittent fasting and 16 and 2 or 10 and 14. I don't know how those numbers work. Or some social media post that talks about the cleansing effect of fasting. Or maybe you hear about it from a Muslim that talks about Ramadan. We just don't hear about it often anymore in relation to following Jesus. And not only that, we, we also have to acknowledge that many people have deeply unhealthy relationships to food in their bodies. And so even just talking about fasting can trigger body shame, issues or, or messages that you've been told about your body through the years. Or it can even trigger ongoing struggles with disordered eating. And so we just kind of leave it alone. And we want nothing to do with fasting. But what if we're missing out on one of the important practices of Jesus? Let's look at Matthew 6. So in Matthew 6, we're, we're kind of right in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is really just a collection of some of the most important teachings of Jesus. And so if you're here today and you maybe don't know about this Jesus character, I would encourage you, go to Matthew and read the Sermon on the Mount and get a feeling for what matters to him and how he sees things. But we're going to read Matthew 6, verse 16, starting at 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. So let's notice two things. First of all, Jesus assumed that his disciples will fast. He doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when. And that last part, when you fast, the father will reward you. There's a gift on the other side of fasting. And I realized uh, as I was preparing this sermon that um, I had more hesitancy around this topic than the previous ones we had looked at in practicing the way of, of Sabbath and prayer. <coughs> and when I kind of sat and was like, why do I feel hesitant? To be honest, it was this idea of I could easily see the benefit of Sabbath, right? Taking a break. We can easily see that. The gift of prayer, being able to talk with Jesus about things, yeah, that makes sense. But fasting for me, it was that moment of the reward, the benefit, the gift isn't as readily available to, to see right off the bat. And I just recognized there was a little hesitancy in me because it felt like it was maybe just all hard with no good. Not true but I just wanted to be confessional in, because some of you might be thinking the same thing. This sounds terrible. And that verse clearly says that there's a gift on the other side of fasting. And in light of that, though, most Christians in the West don't fast, but we used to. So we're going to look at a brief history of fasting. Fasting, because it's important to recognize that us as Beaver Lodge Alliance Church are not just a church um, by ourselves. 
that we're actually in with the, the historic and global church, that we have a legacy that is both, unfortunately, bad, but actually there's so much rich, richness in church history that's important that we're aware of. And so a brief history of fasting. Fasting is a part of every major religion in the world. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and most indigenous practices. The first mention of fasting as a spiritual discipline in all of human history is in Exodus 34, 28. Moses fasts for 40 days on Mount Sinai. And then it's followed by a command for all of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement. If you read the stories of the Old Testament, there's fasting throughout all of them. Moses, King David, the prophet Samuel, Queen Esther, and then all of the minor prophets talk about fasting. By the time we get to the time of Jesus, Jewish people fasted twice a week until sundown. And the early Christians continued this practice. In the Diadach, which is the first Christian writing we have outside the New Testament, and that's been dated to around the first century, so very closely around the time of Jesus, fasting was commanded on Wednesday and Friday, and for two full days before baptism. (coughs) Sorry, guys. Two full days before baptism, for both the person being baptized and the one doing the baptizing. All the early church fathers teach on fasting. And the first Christians took this very seriously. In 380 AD, there's a document called The Constitution of the Holy Apostles, and this is what it said. If any one, the clergy, be found to fast on the Lord's day or on the Sabbath day, except one only, let him be deprived. But if he be one of the laity, let him be suspended. What this means is fasting was so widespread and so common that they had to say, hey, hey guys, don't fast on Sunday or Saturday. That is the Sabbath and the Lord's day. Eat then. And you notice it said except one only. And what that was was that was the Holy Saturday between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday where the whole church would fast for 40 hours between the death and resurrection of Christ to get in touch with Christ himself. And then Lent, six weeks prior to Easter, was originally a fast, no food. Followers of Jesus would not eat until sundown each day. And for those of you that are familiar with Ramadan, that sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Ramadan was based on the Christian practice of Lent. And now most traditions actually have changed Lent to a practice of abstinence, but originally it was a fast from food. The point is, early in church history, there was both regular one-day fasts and periodic longer fasts. And this lasted for well over 1,500 years before it started to die out. In the 18th century, John Wesley lamented that Methodists had kind of left fasting off altogether. He fasted on Wednesday and Friday and refused to ordain any pastor who did not do the same. Well, I'm hoping to uh, get ordained in May, 
And if this was still a requirement, currently how it stands, I would be refused ordination. I do not fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. So I'm not saying I agree with his standards, but what I am saying is that the followers of Jesus used to fast a lot. It was considered central to the way of Jesus. And actually, outside the West, it still is. Eastern streams of the church, Eastern Orthodox, Coptic Christians in Egypt, the Dalit in India and in Iran and especially in Africa, still regularly fast as a part of what it means to be followers of Jesus. What's my point in all this? Well, Jesus fasted, the early church fasted, the current church outside the West fasted, all held fasting as central to the way of Jesus. And it's a practice of Jesus that has been most neglected in modern Western church. Sometimes I think we can, uh, us in the Western church, and I've been guilty of this, we can kind of get an arrogance about us, that somehow we're the most enlightened, the most progressive, the most understanding how everything works. And we can look at maybe some of the historical practice of the church or uh, practices that are outside the West as kind of less than, because we have it all together. That's just actually straight arrogance and pride. We, as a Western church, can learn a lot from the church history. A lot of the, we can learn a lot from the Eastern streams and from the, the churches and faithful believers outside of the West. And I think fasting is one of the areas. The life of Jesus, the writings of scriptures, the voice of the global church, and the teaching of believers all through down church history have said the same thing. Fasting is essential and powerful. What makes us think it's outdated and non-essential? Perfect. So let's look at some basics, because we need to understand. Some of us might have a really good understanding of what fasting is, and, and some of us might not be sure. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page. So what is fasting exactly? Well, some people have a, a very narrow definition. It just means not eating food. And that's the view, actually, of John Mark Cormer, the, uh, the organizer of Practicing the Way, the where the resources and the teaching notes from our Sabbath prayer and fasting series come from, he holds to, it means no food. However, here at Beaver Lodge Alliance, when we talk about fasting, we kind of actually have a broader definition. When we say fasting, it might mean not eating food. It also includes uh, abstinence, Abstaining from something other than food. So a social media fast or an alcohol fast or shopping fast. We include that as part of fasting. We also include the idea of a restricted diet, something called the Daniel fast or, you know, not eating meat or not eating the good breads and, and stuff like that. When we talk about fasting, we are talking about all those things. Any part, anything that we are choosing to deny ourselves, say no to, to create space for Jesus in our lives. Well, how long is a fast? There's no set time. Obviously, abstinence or restricted fasting has a longer capacity than just no food. The most common fast often is from waking until sundown, and then you break your fast, which, you know, in the wind, I'll be honest, when I read that, I was like, oh, 
the winter, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Like 4.30, I can do that. And then I thought about it in the summer, and I was like, hmm, that's a little trickier, maybe a little too long. So it might, it might need to be a little different for us up in the north with a different uh, sun cycle. But in Scripture, Scripture has two-day fasts, three, seven, 21, 40-day fasts. When do you fast? Well, fasting isn't a command, so it's up to you. But we see in both Scripture and history, there's two different types of fasting. We see fasting as a rhythm and a response. So the rhythm is what I talked about twice a week. For most Christians in history, they fasted. And then the response is actually when we look at Scripture, most examples in Scripture are in response to a national crisis, sin, or grief and loss. In 1 Samuel 31, King Saul, the the first king of Israel, died. And the whole nation fasted for seven days. In Jonah 3, Nineveh is warned of their coming destruction. And the king calls for a citywide fast, and they're spared. In Esther 4, the Hebrew people are threatened with genocide, and Queen Esther calls for a three-day fast before she approaches the king to ask for mercy. And they're saved. Fasting can be both a rhythm and a response. Another question is, do we fast in community or alone? Both. Sometimes people have misunderstood Jesus' warning in Matthew 6, that passage I read earlier, as meaning, oh, we don't do any fasting in community, we have to be alone, it has to be private, nobody can know. However, that's not what it says at all. It doesn't say that fasting in community is bad. It says that using fasting is virtue signaling, or using fasting to show how holy and better than everyone you are, that's the bad part. Because actually, those examples I just gave, they were all community fasts. They were all groups of people, whole cities, a whole nation fasting. And finally, the most important question of all, why do we fast? Well, we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. And there's all other sorts of reasons too, but there's four basic categories. To offer ourselves to Jesus, to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor. Over the course of this four-week practice, we'll talk about all four reasons and what that looks like. And this week, we're looking at the most central reason of all, to offer ourselves to Jesus. As I said before, the early Christians continued the Jewish practice of fasting twice a week until sundown. But what's interesting is they changed the days from Monday and Thursday to Wednesday and Friday. Why? Well, they did it because Wednesday was the day that Jesus was betrayed and Friday was the day he was crucified. Early disciples were getting in touch at a bodily primal level with what the New Testament writers call participating in the suffering of Christ. They were intentionally adopting a pattern laid down by Jesus, by dying and rising, death to self, followed by life in God. 
and this is critical, this denying of self, dying to self, is not out of hate for the body, or out of hatred for pleasure, or out of trying to manipulate God to get something because you've, you know, denied yourself enough. None of that. But it was out of a burning desire for Jesus. To be with him and become like him. This is the ultimate reason for fasting, hunger for Jesus and his transformation. What is, Je- what is hunger? Well, it's the feeling of wanting or needing something you do not have. N.T. scholar Scott McKnight calls fasting body talk. It's a way of praying with your body. God, I hunger for you. I want you. I need you. Now, I bet in this room right now, there's probably a good amount of you that are like, I don't feel any hunger for God. And honestly, some of us might be actually pretty apathetic towards him. And that's okay. Jesus meets us where we're at. And fasting has the potential to awaken the hunger within all souls for Jesus. Fasting is a practice to offer our whole lives to him for us to be transformed. Now, in order to have a proper view of fasting, we need to have a proper theology of the body. Let's look at Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I want you to note Paul's choice of words. Offer your bodies, not just your heart. The Greek word is soma, where we get somatic from. The whole person, including your body. In a lot of church traditions, we talk a lot about giving your heart, letting Jesus have your heart, which is good and wonderful. Except he just actually doesn't call for us to follow him with our heart. It's our whole being. Our whole body. And when we've prioritized talking about solely the heart to Jesus and not our whole body, we've lost the theology of the body. The truth is, all through scripture, is that you don't have a body. You are a body. Or more precise, your body is a part of who you are. Think about it. Jesus came in a fleshly body. That's a doctrine we call the incarnation. To save all of our body. That's a doctrine we call the resurrection. And one day in the future, at Jesus' return, what happened to Jesus' body will happen to the body of all of his followers. We will be raised from death to life, the resurrection of the body. And I preached a whole sermon on that from 1 Corinthians 15, that it isn't just kind of this um, soul resurrection, but it, it talks about a bodily resurrection. It will look different, but there will be a body. And so in the meantime, before we have a re- the resurrection of our bodies, our discipleship, our following of, to Jesus must 
take the body seriously. We can't just dismiss it as, ah, it doesn't matter how we treat our body. It doesn't matter what we do with our body. All that matters is our heart. No. Body, soul, and spirit, all of it matters. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Your body is a temple, a dwelling place for God. Therefore, what we do with our bodies matter. And the body is a sphere where our discipleship to Jesus becomes real. It's no longer just an idea or a feeling or something that we sit and chat about. But in our body, following Jesus becomes a practice. A way of life. One way to think about discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus is it's a disciplined attempt to get the teachings of Jesus into our bodies itself, into our neurobiology, into muscle memory, so that when we're confronted with situations, his teachings just come out of us without even thinking, because we've trained our mind and our body to align ourselves with the way of Jesus. Fasting is one of the great ways to get the teachings of Jesus into our body. Looking back at Romans 12 again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. We offer our whole person, including our bodies, to Jesus in view of what God has already done. We choose to do this for him in light of what he's done on the cross and in his resurrection. We give up food, activities, other good things because he gave everything up for us. We offer our bodies and devotions because he already gave his body for us. We fast for all sorts of reasons. The primary reason is to give something to Jesus, not to get something from Jesus. Sometimes we can have this view of, of fasting that's like, well, if I fast long enough, if I fast hard enough, if it's like, if I'm like super miserable, then somehow I got more cred with Jesus. He'll like give me more of what I want because like I've denied myself. And God already gave up his son. So he is willing to give good gifts without us being in a place of being miserable or denying ourselves. So it's not to get something, but it's in response to the love Jesus has already given us. It's worship.
In conclusion, Jesus assumed his disciples would fast, but he never commanded it. Neither did any of the apostles in the New Testament. You don't have to fast. I'm not going to stand here and say, you know, in order to follow Jesus, you need to fast. You don't have to fast. It's not required. And we also need to acknowledge that Jesus fasted and then said, come, follow me. Practices like fasting, Sabbath, prayer are how we follow Jesus. How we open our whole person and life to his grace to be transformed. Because as ones who are centering ourselves around Jesus, that's we want to be with him, become more like him, and live our lives like him. So maybe as I've been talking about this offering ourselves to Jesus, maybe there's someone here that's like, man, you know what, you're talking about food, but I've like not even offered my heart or anything to Jesus. Simple. You can do it right now. It's nothing fancy, it's nothing, there's no specific words. It's just a turning to him and say, Jesus, in light of what you did on the cross, And in your resurrection, how you made a way for us to be healed, saved, and delivered. I offer myself to you. And some of you, as I've been talking, maybe you're aware of there's places in your lives that you know you've held tightly to. That you haven't given it to Jesus. There's been no surrender. There's been no asking him to uh, be a part of that area of your life. You've held tightly to it. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's uh, your work. Maybe it's your uh, way you use your money. Maybe it's the habits you engage with as ways of relaxing. And Jesus has just kind of been highlighting those. Right now, if you want, you can just offer that to Jesus. And again, it's really simple. Jesus I view my money as really only my thing. I offer it to you now. That's it. And then for some of us, it might be in direct relation to fasting. And as we go into these next four weeks, we have, um, we have uh, guides to help you. They're on our church app or they're printed at the back to just kind of help you if this is an area that you want to learn and grow in. It will help you to kind of get into a practice. For those of you that are in connect groups, there's also discussion questions to kind of have. Rumble through some of the things. Because I recognize fasting, if it's something that we've not thought a lot about or we've had misconceptions, there can be a lot of things that we need to discuss. And so I encourage you, if you're in a connect group or just even with a group of people, terrible sound in your ear. I'm trying to time it right, but I'm not doing a good job. I encourage you. It's so good that when we're coming up against things that we've not thought about before, or we have a lot of feelings around, or we've had bad experiences, to gather with other believers and talk through those things. Because as we bring our questions and our doubts and the things that we're like not sure of or are 
perceptions, other people can come around us and say, oh, that's, I, I've not thought about it that way. This is the way I see it. Or, man, let's look at Scripture. What does Scripture say? Or even just a place to rumble through things. And so, fasting is an opportunity to offer ourselves to Jesus because he's freely offered himself to us. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.